Hello and welcome to the 6++ Show, a podcast for your wargaming and 40k needs. Hobby talk, tactics, tournament reports, lore and much more. We have it all. Please welcome your host for the evening, Tom. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and shroud runners to that <laughs> 6 plus 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 show. I am your host, Tom, and I am very, very excited because we have here today one of the very best 40k players there is, the one and only Vic VJ. How are you doing, Vic? Oh, yo, thanks, Tom. Cheers for having me on. <laughs> it's you know, a real pleasure. <laughs> I, I, I really like you guys. Uh, I played Chris so many times. You and, have, uh, you have. <laughs> and finally, I got to meet all of you guys at the yes. international team tournament. So it was, it, it's been a pleasure and I'm yep. really chuffed that you brought me on today. Oh, no, it's, it's a real pleasure, as I say. And it's a, we really enjoyed playing you guys at that event it was really really fun it's classic that it ended up being chris into you again it's because <laughs> i think you live rent free in chris's head so it's, it's very it's very very funny um and he, he really really he really enjoyed that game and we had a real laugh recounting that whole that whole round because it was so fun for us like that that little moment where we're like oh maybe we've got something here and then we, and then we just got rolled like, <laughs> it was so good um yeah really really fun round um so what, what we're doing today obviously this is state of play i've actually not done state of play for a few weeks but now my work is calming down i'm like yeah let's do state of play again and what I like to do in this show is we, we talk about a given faction with a specialist and a longtime fan of the faction and get a little sense of where that faction sits in the current meta. Obviously, we're in this uh, this Arcs of Omen meta with all the spice that brings at the moment. Um, and some sort of some of the key things you're doing, some of the things that are in your thoughts about how to navigate and use that faction in the current moment. Um, and that faction today will be Eldari, the wonderful Eldari. Now, for me, Eldari are... They're my sort of missed opportunity in ninth. I played them a lot in eighth, and they were just. Did you ever have just have it where you're just you're you're in love with other stuff at a moment in time, right? So a book comes out, Eldari comes out, and I'm just kind of like, I did Eldari for ages. I'm not really feeling this right now, and I didn't really make the most of that book. And it's something I look back on and go, oh, I, re- I regret that. I should have absolutely played that book a lot more than I did. Um, but do you want to tell people a little bit about your kind of history and backstory with the Eldari? Yeah. So I mean. Eldar, Eldar are the first army that I play, Craftworld um, yep. Eldar, um, mm-hmm. and it's one of those factions where I always look for the moments where they're good again for me to mm-hmm. jump back into them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's kind of like you know when you go go home and you have that home cooked food, and you yeah, know it, yeah, just, yeah. it just hits the right place. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Eldar, and it doesn't matter how good it is; it just you know feels really yeah. good. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm not here to sell Eldari shares or anything, but I, I'm. <laughs> so hyped to talk about Eldar because yeah. I think they're one of the most dynamic factions both competitively and also narratively it's a very yeah. very kind of good narrative concept that they have yeah. and once you get the combination of those things with some cool models it's it's one of those factions that like people love them if they yeah. really get them. Absolutely right. Yeah. And I, I think the aesthetic and the lore and the story around them is is so compelling and you know one of the great 40k stories. And I love I think what I love is that that their play and their weaknesses match that story so well, right? You've got that fragility and that vulnerability that's kind of at the heart of of how of the faction and how you have to use it very carefully and be be very sort of uh well judged and sensible with your resources. It's just sort of, you know, it's part and parcel of their story and their history, which I I really, really like. Um I've realized in my excitement I've 
jumped straight into talking about Adari, but I haven't given you a chance to tell everyone and the listeners, you know, where, what you're about and where you're from more broadly. So do you want to just briefly sort oh. of tell people about yourself as well? And then we'll get into the sort of the meat, the meat and bones of the, of the fact. Sure. Of, of course, no problem. So, um, you know, I've met a lot of people in competitive 40k. I've been doing it for a while now. So I think yeah. it's coming up to my sixth year in it. And um, I jumped straight into competitive gaming from the start. I'm seeing the same kind of people over and over again. And it's only in probably the last two or three years I've really kind of worked out my play style and my play skill and everything. Yeah. And I finished uh, second in the world uh, last year in the ITC yes, rankings. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> me and uh, my good friend David Gaylard uh, have set up a podcast called Fireside 40K Podcast where yeah. uh, we just kind of talk about our journey in 40K. We, we do this kind of like really chilled out vibe. So thanks for letting me. Chilled out, uh, chilled me out is exactly out. right. No, Fireside <laughs> is Fireside's my favorite. I've got a bit of a commute with my job and Fireside. Whenever that comes out, I'm very, very excited to have that on in the drive. It's the smooth yes. jazz music. And then it's just that you're both, you've got to, you've both come at it with this really measured and relaxed and, and thoughtful sort of approach that I think is, I think sometimes absent in the, in the, in the sort of the wild, loud conversation around this game with all the passion that people have. I think it's really nice that you guys have this lovely sort of relaxed and empathetic way of looking at things, but also just some of the best insights um, and analysis, I think that you can get. So it's, it's an amazing listen. We're really big fans. Um, and so, yeah, no, it's, it's very, very cool to be able to sort of be, be meeting and getting you and David involved in some of our content too. That's really, really cool. Thank you. Very nice. And obviously, I mean, you've, you've historically played for Dice Down as well, right? Do you mm-hmm. want to tell people a little bit about Dice Down? Yeah. So Dice Down is a team I've played for for the past uh, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. So quite a long time. It was basically through the entire development of myself as a 40k player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a group of 10 players who are, at the time when I joined, they were extremely competitive, like the best players yeah. in the world kind of level. And um, yeah, we basically just wanted to play the game the correct way, which was the yeah. big, uh, big draw I had to joining. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently, there's been a bit of a change in that. Me and yeah. Dave have kind of split off and we've made yeah. a different team called Ignite, yes. uh, yeah. which is just aimed at seeing if we can compete with Art of War by bringing together some of the best players in Europe. So yeah. we've got Brian Seep from Scotland and we've yeah. got Jokul Johansson and it's the four of us. So Jokul's the Iceland team captain. So we've got a little group and we're just trying to collect people together, especially yeah. as 40k grows and becomes more like an esport. It's kind of good to kind of get... Oh, it's exciting, right? Yeah, <laughs> kind of, kind of uh, build for that from now. And that's really our aim. So Yeah, fantastic. Uh, yeah. I'm really excited to see what happens with Ignite. I'd seen it pop up on, on David's tag and I was very curious. I was going to sort of pick your brand and see, see what that was going. And I think, yeah, I mean, anything that's got you and David and Brian involved gets my vote immediately. So I'm really excited to see what you guys do with that. Just, Fantastic. And as I say, yeah, massive respect to the Dice Down guys. As you say, they've been around for a very long time yeah. and they're, they're wonderful players as well. Malik is one of my favorite favorite people in the 40k world. I very much, whenever he sort of comes out of his retirement and, and plays more <laughs> plays more Warhammer, it's very nice to see him as well. No, that's, that's fantastic and really exciting. Brilliant. Okay, right. Not the conventional way around of doing it, but I've saved it. It's not the end of the world. Right, so here we go. What we're going to yes. do now is get into thinking a little bit about Eldari at the moment. And I guess as a sort of general ethos type question, I think it's helpful perhaps for the listener to understand, as you see it, what Eldari's place in the game broadly across mm-hmm. editions and across moments in time is, right? What What's their role? What's the kind of character and function of Eldari as an army versus the many other factions you can play as in the game? Yeah. Okay, so Eldar are interesting because they do match their narrative very well. And yeah. you immediately see this kind of fragile, very yeah. fast army that mm-hmm. has incredible psychers, some of the best psychers oh. in the lore. Yeah. And then they also have hyper-specialized units in, yeah. the, the, in the Aspect Warriors. Mm-hmm. And that 
essentially translates to the game. So if you have units that say are very expensive in terms of points cost, very fragile in terms of durability, but their output against specific targets is brilliant, especially when you get the psychic support synergizing with the units. So that plays out exactly on the board and their speed allows them to hit with those units where they need to. Yeah. Saying that you make a mistake, your units don't hit in the right place or you get hit in the wrong place, <laughs> then your durability doesn't allow you to carry on with the game. So yeah. uh, there's there's a lot of payoff if you get it right and mm. a lot to lose if you get it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. You get an aspect where you're just looking back and you're like, hey, man, why are you getting me to do this? This isn't, this isn't my thing. I can't help you here, right? I mean, you've, you've played me wrong. I'm not in the right place. No, and I think I think that was it. That they were i think they were like my second army i went to right having done a much more forgiving like intro type army and the appeal from the outside which i think you're kind of iterating here is as you say everything is so specialized which once you start knowing how to use tools is amazing because you feel like i've just got this unit that just does this thing i need it to do so so well but can also be very daunting because as you say there's not room for error here and if you if you put the pieces of the puzzle in the wrong places it can go wrong so there's definitely a skill i think a skill cap with eldar where they take some getting used to and i think it's it's no surprise that sort of very technical and very high skilled players are the other ones that tend to be able to make them sing and get the most out of them yeah absolutely and the the thing is in ninth edition the way that they sit is actually really interesting for player development because mm. they have so many layers of rules with strands of fate even just that battle focus rule just how yeah. technical that is and how much of a difference it makes mm. along with their kind of movement out of phase with quicken fire and fade uh, manipulation of battle focus all of these things are layers which eldar players can learn to be better at yeah and i think you know, every level of Eldar player is going to gain something from every game they play. Even if you're very, very experienced, you're still going to go yeah. into a game, come out of it and be like, I wish I'd battle focused in, you know, three inches in the other direction. Yeah, yeah, Would have yeah, changed yeah. the game two turns later. And yeah, it's, it's so rewarding. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Strands of Fate was a was a really cool mechanic when I saw that in the ninth edition release as well, because as the sort of the, the reward for the person thinking a couple of steps ahead and strategizing, you know, you look at those different pieces you've been given for the turn, and you're like, oh, okay, here's here's the way, right? Here, here are my sort of my certainties or my my sort of my efficiencies to make certain things happen. But again, if you don't know what you're looking at or looking for, it can just seem like you've got a bunch of sixes and you're not sure you're not sure where to put them and how to make things work, right? So it's something that again, the more you the more complete a picture you have of the game state and of the army, um, the more you can really get out of it. At which point it starts to feel incredibly powerful, right? For sure. Yeah. No, wonderful. Okay. Well, let's talk about the current meta, right? Obviously, we've got Arcs of Omen, we've got a few, a few sort of heavy hitters in that in that meta at the moment. I guess I wanted to start with the good news and what you see as the positives for Eldari in the current Arcs of Omen moment, and then whether there's anything, any particular challenges or anything that you think is difficult for Eldari out in the meta at the moment as well. But let's start with the good news. That's how we like to do things, right? Sure. So the good news, I think, going into this uh, particular meta is that there's been a significant balance update to Flyers. Yeah. And Flyers were a significant problem for factions like Eldar, Sisters, anything with fragile units. And... uh, Flyers not being relevant in the meta is a huge benefit. It allows you to play a lot of these fragile units. On top of that, we also got a balance update to indirect fire. And a lot of indirect fire weapons aren't as effective as they were Mm. before. Mm. We've still got mortars in the meta. So unfortunately, the very best indirect fire is still good against Eldar. So you Mm. you have to consider it if you're going through a singles tournament that mortars can be very effective against anything with a three plus save or worse that is not infantry and can't gain cover. Anything better than Mm. that, you'll get two up save and cover and and you're okay. Yeah, you're all right. Um, So 
those two things have allowed Eldar to be a little bit more viable. Mm. And then on top of that, you've got a slightly different meta where, um, you know, there's more Space Marines. Eldar weaponry tends to be quite good into Space Marines. And just the ability to use all of you, it doesn't matter what the points cost is. If you can survive enough to get all your tech pieces working, which is what this meta allows, Eldar will be more successful. And we're already starting to see that in tournament results. Eldar have a very good win rate across Mm. both Yanari and Asuriani. Um, and they're taking high placings in tournaments as well, which is really promising to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, I think this was exactly the same reason that my um, my Drakari and my Harlequin started looking at me the other week. Was like, oh, there's there's Marines about. It's just fun to hit a Marine really hard from miles away, right? It's a it's a nice thing That's to it. be able to do. And yeah, Eldari. In general, I remember this with um, late 8th as well. It was the same thing, right? The same phenomenon where Marines have their heyday. It feels like they always come out in force a couple of times in addition. Um, and when that's the case, the Eldar are there like, good, it's um, it's hunting season for us. We can we can go and play that game. And it's interesting that you talk about artillery. I mean, I completely agree with you on flyers, right? Stuff like harpies was hard work. <laughs> Sunshark bombers. Sunshark bombers, yeah. There are a few things that could just drop bombs on you, make a real problem for you. Um, and flyers are nothing like as scary when they when they have to drop in. Although it is a little sad for the Eldar flyers as well. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about Eldar flyers. <laughs> they were already <laughs> struggling anyway. Yeah, so it doesn't feel like a loss to be honest. No, they're paying for their sins, aren't mm-hmm. they? They're still they're in limbo for a while <laughs> yet. I think. Um, no, that's that's really cool. And I think in terms of the the current sort of positives in terms of matchups in the meta, what sorts of the main builds or common armies out there at the moment do you think Eldar have a good game into? And if you want to elaborate a little bit about why that is, that'd be really useful as well. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, so if we look at list design and consider the kind of things which are good for Eldar, the mortal wound output is very high, uh, Mm. potentially, and it's one of the few armies that's extremely viable at the moment in this meta which can output higher level of mortal wounds. That means people don't tend to tech for protection against it. Yeah, that's right. You immediately have that damage output. So that means that you can handle units which are really, really durable. Um, so let's say the Deathwing Terminators. Yes, right? <laughs> so I've heard of those. Yeah, <laughs> Lehman Rust battle tanks. So these okay. are notoriously difficult units to kill. Uh, mm. Land fortresses, very tough yes, to kill. Votan ones. Yeah, but yeah. Mortal wounds do a good job against these mm. units. So you immediately have that as a tool. And then on the other side of it, you have stuff like Shroud Runners, which are very, very effective with a high yes. volume of fire. Yeah. And then you also have quite good anti-tank in stuff like D-Cannons. So mm-hmm. the kind of scale between these three things, you can kind yeah. of tweak depending on the meta here. And let's say you think that Guard are really good. You're maybe going to go for a little even balance of both. And then yes. if you think you're definitely going to hit loads of Dark Angels players, you just reduce the scatter lasers a little bit on the Shroud Runners yeah, and you yeah. up the Mortal Wounds and you up the D-Cannons. Yeah, yeah. So I think they have a good game into all of the meta, including the very top of the meta. Mm-hmm. I think overall they have an excellent game into most of the meta and they can give the very best armies a game, like um, Dark Angels or Imperial Guard. I think there are tools in there for you to have a chance mm-hmm. against the very best. And you're a powerful enough faction to really do well against everything else, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's really good to hear, and that's that's awesome. I'm, so I'm looking forward to seeing this playing itself out a bit as well, because I think, as I say, there's there's 
that feeling at the moment in the message, oh, Dark Angels are strong, Guard are strong. And as, as you say, it's it's about building solutions to that. And I think we're starting to see it. It felt like at Southampton, Dark Angels didn't have everything their own way, for sure. They you know they, they fell down in, in more matchups than they were expecting, I think. Um, and that's that's reassuring to know that the Guard also have some some counters. I remember when we looked at your list for the Teams event, mm-hmm. we had one read down it and we're like, oh, hold on now. We, yeah, no, no, we don't, we don't want to get the Guard into that. That oh, looks yeah. like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. you were going to give it to me as well. No, no, uh, no, no, no. That was no, an option. It, <laughs> yeah, we'd, we'd had we'd had some we'd had a look at it, and we were just like, ah, yeah, okay, no, there's there's some problems in here. This isn't one. This isn't one to take lightly. And I mean, obviously, we, we we decided to YOLO the guard mirror, which was obviously a really fun story in the end, anyway. So, no, that's 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 really good and really interesting to hear. I mean, are, do you see weaknesses? Are there any particular cons for them at the moment, or are you feeling quite confident? What kinds of matchups might be an issue? Uh, I think the two hardest matchups are definitely Astro Militarum and Dark Angels, which is, I think, going to yeah. be universal for every army in the <laughs> yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the fact that they have mortars immediately stops you from using things like Howling Banshees on foot. Yeah. And I think in a team's environment, you can do that. You can run the Howling Banshees on foot and craft walls become so much better because of it. Mm. Um, but if you can't, you've got to keep them inside a transport. You've just increased the yeah. cost of the, the unit by, you know, double. Um, mm. So... I think that one is tough because the mortars are a massive challenge on top of actually probably being behind on primary and secondary. So you've got to you've got to be killing your opponent to actually win the game. Yeah. And it's exactly the same issue with Dark Angels. You've got to be killing your opponent to win the game, but they're incredibly durable across the middle of the board. So you fall behind on primary, and that's probably the biggest weakness Craft Worlds have had for a long time. Mm. Against really tough armies that are better than them, put too much pressure on them. Mm. It can take them too long to catch up and dig out space to then yeah. score primary. And by dig out space, I mean trying to hold two objectives. Yeah. That's that's a massive challenge because if you can hold one objective in your backfield, that happens all the time. But the second objective requires you to remove threat, which can yeah. attack that objective. And Eldar can't handle threat very well because they're so no. fragile. <laughs> yeah. So Dark Angels and Guard being able to apply so much threat with very efficient units, they have too much in their army pretty much, mm. um, can make it very difficult to maintain your eights on primary. And by the time you can, it might be too late to catch up. Yeah, completely. And I think that that's where, I mean, this is, I know this is something that some people get very annoyed, but it's a precarious game, right? I think Eldari is a precarious game. You have to have a real balance and control in the mission. And sometimes you have to seed ground in order to spring that proper killing moment and get get the enemy put away in a, in a meaningful way. Because as you say, you don't have casual assets where you can be like, that's fine, that can go, I can dispose of that, that's fine. Certainly not for the primary, right? Unless Unless you're actually using all of those forces to put the opponent away substantially it's not worth sticking your head out and that that does mean that as you say you're going to find yourself in that catch-up situation which is daunting definitely daunting and it's interesting i mean you talk about the artillery it sounds like delivery solutions are a big part of this right in in terms of dealing with things like guard and other kinds of artillery you need to have ways of getting your forces and your assets to bear on them um, without falling victim to those kinds of threats. So I mean, what kinds of solutions do you think there are to doing that? So there's two ways you can deal with artillery. One is killing them and <laughs> yep. one is surviving them. So yep. Eldar are unique in the sense that they have actually a good tool for killing mortars yes. uh, in the form of the Night Spinner. They do have and the Night Spinner. Yeah. The Night Spinner is not an efficient platform generally, yep. but in a meta where mortars can cause so many problems, um, a Night Spinner pretty much on average, if it has ignore cover, can kill a unit of mortars. You might have to use a little bit of dice manipulation, maybe CP roll the number of shots, but you can pretty consistently do that every turn. So by turn yep. three, 
you'll have removed the mortars. Yeah. Um, if you run two of them, it is a possibility. You can run two of them. Uh, <laughs> you really, really tilt that guard matchup towards you because then you're yeah. starting to consistently kill guardsmen and Kazakin. Um, they almost can't start the Kazakin on the board. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. or just out in the open. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Elder have a tool to kill. They also have a tool via the Shroud Runners who can say if you're in Swift Strikes, which allows you to advance and shoot as if you were main stationary, they could move 22 inches uh, after pregame moving 16 inches. So that's 38 inches. And yeah, wow. then maybe even shoot into the back where the yeah. mortars are positioned. Wow. Um, so Eldar have two very good options for dealing with mortars. If, let's say, you go second, and, mm-hmm. I, and that, that's a very real possibility, I think you still have to build to consider that they're going to get at least one good turn of mortar shooting, probably yeah. two good turns uh, if they go first. And in that case, you just can't keep fragile units out on the board to just get shot for free. You can't no. lose a 110-point no, Banshee unit to two it, mortar right? squads. No, it's not <laughs> no, worth it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, that's that's really interesting. And Shroud Runners, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about them both. We'll talk about key units in a moment because I think Shroud Runners are massive and there's a whole bunch of reasons that they go really well into this current meta. But the points drop on those was was very nice, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. It was <laughs> super, super nice. Yeah, exactly. Like a nice a nice treat in the, in the rebalance. Um, you've alluded to it already and it's... But I want to take it to a sort of traits and builds type conversation now. I mean, if we start with traits, mm-hmm. one of the internal conversations we were having in Six Plus when when we were thinking about the meta was what direction to go with traits for craft boards, right? Chris is building some craft boards. Chris loves his damage. Chris was very much talking up Hail of Doom. And I, at the time, was saying, I just think Masterful Shots is too good. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be giving up on, especially when that one you can still combo combo with other things. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I, I've, I've obviously I've, I've had the, the luxury of, of listening to you talk about Eldar before. Um, do you want to just explain to people sort of masterful shots and the significance of it, but yeah, then maybe talk about some of your other favorite traits and their uses okay. as well? Let me let me do something which I haven't done on any other podcast. Let me let me go into like splitting this up into four different categories. Oh, this is exciting! Okay. All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm holding nothing back for you. <laughs> I appreciate so, it. So, in terms of four different categories, I'm going to go with what I would say is the easiest one to play. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that's any of the Alpha Strike melee builds that you see. Mm-hmm. So anything like Yanari or mm. Vengeful, um, which is the Exploding Sixes yes. Craftful trait, um, those kinds of armies which then tailor into an Alpha Strike. So let's say you're playing two units of Striking Scorpions, some yeah. Shroud Runners, the Yinkans getting thrown in. Those kinds of armies that can do huge amounts of damage on the first turn are it will be good in a tournament because lots of people can't handle alpha strikes yeah. too well. Yeah. Um, so you'll get consistent results with that. So mm. if you want something that you're always going to do well with, go for that one. Mm-hmm. The second one, Hail of Doom. <laughs> so Hail of Doom is any sixes to hit, automatically wound, and count as a shuriken kind of plus two AP. And it yeah. works on all shuriken weapon in your army. It's very powerful because Dire Avengers are one of the most points effective units that we have in the Codex. And this really ramps them up. Um, so you can very easily and straightforward build an army that does a huge amount of direct damage output using Hail of Doom. Mm. Um, and the list kind of builds itself as well. Yeah. It's really yeah, yeah. easy list building. Um, I think that is the second easiest army to play, but mm. also probably one of the best sub-factions to use. Oh, yeah, super strong. You'll get really consistent results. It's excellent in teams and singles, and it's good into pretty much the entire uh, entirety of the meta. The third one, and the rewards start getting higher as your player skill improves with this. <laughs> payoff, yeah, yeah. The third one is Ulthway. Okay. So Ulthway has a massive suite of rules that make it a very consistent high-scoring army. 
The main things being it gets plus one to cast, it gets to reroll a wound, and it also gets a relic, which is extremely important, where anytime you cast on a nine plus, your spell is undeniable. Ah, uh, the ghost helm. Yeah. The ghost helm of yeah. Alishazir. So, so good. Very, very powerful because it immediately opens up a psychic secondary, which is consistent there, regardless of if the opponent has a deny. It's mm. not going to matter against Astra Militarum, but even against um, Dark Angels, it's very, very useful to have. Um, so that's the third one. I think that's very consistent. You'll always score high. If you play it perfectly, you'll get really good results with that. Mm. And then you go into the masterful shots kinds of builds. So yep. masterful shots is ignore cover, and that's yep. usually combined uh, with swift strikes. Yep. So swift strikes is the advance and shoot. So the combination of those two opens up some units like shroud runners, um, even vipers, war walkers, anything with heavy weapons like that are excellent. Swooping mm. Hawks are a little bit too expensive now, but Warp Spiders yeah. are very well priced to make use of this. Mm. Being able to advance automatically six inches, move 12 plus six or 18, and then shoot their 12 inch guns, and then yeah. use their Web of and, Deceit. And like then Battle Focus, yeah. yeah. Super so cool. You can get a really good hammer unit out of that. Mm. Um, you could also combine it with one of many other different secondary traits. I personally like the reroll a wound, kind of like a mini ultway, yeah. ignore yeah, cover yeah, ultway, yeah. I call it. <laughs> um, nice. Because uh, it opens up things like D cannons, and even the night spinner becomes more consistent with it and i really yeah. respect that kind of indirect fire output yeah um so yeah uh, you can go once you go for that you need to be playing the game really well to make the most of swift strikes and masterful shots because yeah you're not necessarily scoring high and your output is not high unless you're putting everything into the right place yeah. uh, but the payoff is that when you get everything correct it's very, very consistent, and it has a game into the entirety of the meta. Mm. Just having ignore cover there immediately makes the Dark Angels game a little bit easier if you take yeah, for completely. it. Um, so, yeah, that's my kind of ranking system and yeah. differences between them. I think they're all pretty even, and you can work mm. with any of them, but depending mm. on your skill level and what kind of play style you want to play, you're going to get different results depending on what yeah. you go for. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think yeah, the night spinner and masterful shots that was always the appeal for me because like you realize that even with, you know, the artillery changes that that still makes it a very reliable mm -hmm. sort of unit for getting that damage on and forcing saves even on armored targets, right? Because you you strip those layers of defenses away. And that's that's where the flexibility comes in. And as I say, so swift strikes is a really interesting one because as you say the skill level with that is high because being able to move really quick and shoot great but you still have to be able to exploit the positioning make the mm -hmm. most of your 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 resources there and as you say you are you are definitely sacrificing a little bit in terms of overall output but it means that you're going to be able to get a wider range of types of damage into mm -hmm. different places i think right i think that's always the thing i've felt with hail which is you know exactly where you're going with hail right it's it's shuriken everywhere and it's gonna and that's that comes with some limitations in terms of its reach in terms of the units that actually can carry it um, and and how you can apply it. So yeah, that, that's really really interesting interesting to see. And in in terms of builds themselves, mm -hmm. these are a lot a lot of the Eldar builds end up being combined arms builds, right? Do you, you still feel that's that's the way to go? Like a little bit of psychic, a little bit of melee, a little bit of shooting. Yeah, I think that's correct. I think that's one side of it. That's the mm. output side of it. And mm. I think for the output side, yeah, you need a little bit of a mix. And I think you still heavily lean into shooting. I think that's yeah. more effective yeah, yeah. for Aldar generally, but you have sprinkles of combat and <laughs> yeah. there's some elements of combat which are extremely efficient in Eldar mm. compared to everything else. The first striking scorpion unit you take, 
with crushing blows and biting blade. So they auto wound with seven attacks, exploding sixes, two damage each on those on the extra arc. <laughs> that particular unit is very, very effective. Yeah. And then the first Howling Banshee unit you take, where it has two damage on the 10 attacks from the Exarch, mm. Mirror Swords and Piercing Strikes, really, really effective as well. So if you're going to sprinkle something in, you see a lot of people sprinkling one of each of those units. Yeah. Um, and then you get interesting mm. things where you start to introduce characters, like Baharoth is an excellent melee piece, mm. and so are some of the Harlequin characters. So yeah. it's very common to see uh, Harlequins kind of souped in. And then you get kind of the troop master who does a bit of damage. Even the troops are more efficient than the Eldar uh, melee choices. Mm. Um, and then you get the Yunari side, where you get the Yunkan giving you a little bit of melee. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yunari is uh, Yunari is fun to say. That's that's the only game I've ever had against Dave was my Yunari getting absolutely rolled by his, his Leviathan Tyranids. That was one of those moments. Oh, no. where like <laughs> it was, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, this isn't this isn't good. This isn't this isn't this isn't something I have the right answers to. <laughs> it was a really fun game. But the Incan, another piece that rewards the the, the sort of the play and the precision use yeah, of, of timing sure. so much. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's really interesting. I mean, let's let's start unpacking some of the key units. I think the one I'm really interested in hearing more about to start off with is Shroud Runners, right? Because as, as you say, they've, they're having a breakout moment. They've suddenly started appearing in lists all over the place. And there are actually several layers to what make them useful, right? They are not, they're one of those units that actually play very different roles in different kinds of matchups. I wondered if you wanted to elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so they're a very versatile unit because their output's good, their speed's good. Um, their durability is actually super relevant because they get yeah. plus two to their cover save in yeah. um, in cover. So exactly. and they can they can benefit from light cover, which is unique for bikes. Yeah. Um, so they have a two plus save in cover, which is exactly what you want against mortars. So exactly they're what you want. playable against guard, which is key. That that yeah, ticks a box. Crucial. Yeah. They yeah. can <laughs> go in the list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then on top of that, they're. Um, only 90 points for three is incredibly cheap. They allow you to act. So this is the next bit. So you've got the output out of the way. Now you've got to get the secondaries. Uh, and I'm also going to talk about control because control yes. is a big part of playing Eldar. And the mm. Shroud Runners achieve both of those things. So they give you secondaries by being very good at doing behind enemy lines. Yes. Um, they're a very cheap first turn behind enemy lines. You just throw one unit away. Yeah. Uh, but then on top of that, they also give you control. And by control, I mean with Eldar, the the kind of the biggest win condition you can get again i've never talked about this on a podcast just just the biggest win condition for eldar is when you control a portion of the enemy's army and you make it so that they can't interact with the with one side of your army mm. and because eldar is so fast you can basically deny an entire flank so mm. you have half of your units hidden on one side and then the other half actually going out and doing things but he can only interact with a small portion of his army into that part. And that's mm. the portion that you're trying to kill and whittle down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Shroud Runners are good because they're on quite large bases so they can move block enemy units. Yes. They also have an incredible stratagem in the Wire Weave Grenade stratagem, which mm. can be used at the start of the opponent's movement phase or charge phase, but you can only do one. Uh, and it's minus D3 inches movement to an enemy unit. And they take D3 mortal wounds or minus yeah. D3 to their charge if it's used in the charge phase. But let's say we use it for movement. Mm-hmm. You can really cut down the ability for a unit to reposition yeah. with that uh, with that shroud running unit, especially mm-hmm. if it doesn't fly. It's really tricky. But even if it yes. does fly, you can block out the final position of the unit as well. So always look out for use, for kind of control moments with your mm-hmm. shroud runners because those are the game winning moments I've found. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, it's, it's shaping and herding the enemy, isn't it? It's a very Eldar thing to be doing. They, they love this nonsense. They love sending <laughs> love sending out all, all these sort of uncivilized armies in directions <laughs> they don't want to go in. For, 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 and so that's it. Yeah. And I think I think they're amazing. As you say, it's a cheap unit that shoots well, positions well, can harass, can force the opponent into different places. And yeah, the uh, the extra cover is actually really, really relevant. And that's, so I hadn't really appreciated that before. But as you say, in, in an art, when there are, is artillery out there, being able to be on a two-up before even the modifiers and other things start getting involved, super, super valuable. Definitely. Yeah. Another unit that um, you mentioned earlier on that I think it has been in the meta for quite a while now, but I'm curious to see how you feel it currently sits is the D cannon, right? The D cannon yeah. kind of emerged as a solution, I guess, during an era which we can thank you for with the with the CSM glory <laughs> days, right? Where where there were a lot of big, powerful sort of you know possessed and, and terminators and other things around. That's the first time I remember seeing them. But what do you feel the current place and use of D cannons in an Eldar army is? So it's an interesting one because I think a lot of people are not running D cannons mm. like in across Europe and America. It's just not a very commonly taken unit mm. for mm. some reason. <laughs> I love D cannons. I think they're <laughs> immense. They're yeah. such a good unit and they're such a like a tricksy little piece because um, you can get them down to single units or big units of three and they have very yeah. different roles. The single units can block out space, allow yeah. you to kind of put your strands of fate dice into an area. So even if there's only one, if you get two shots on it, you could easily kill a tank with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you just pop a couple of automatic sixes into that. Um, but then they also character block because they are vehicles. Uh, so the little single units are awesome, especially if you're Altway or a reroll to wound subfaction, because the reroll to wound is super relevant with that. Mm. The next thing is the big unit of three. Now, the big unit of three is a massive tech piece, and it has been for a while now. It goes from everything to just pumping out loads of damage. It has a lot of strategies which support it. Either reroll once to hit because it's a guardian unit, or if it's within twelve, if an enemy unit is within twelve inches of a ranger unit, you can get yeah. full rerolls to hit. Yeah, very very powerful. Mm. Um, also, it's very effective with Phantasm. You can use yes. it to block out space with Phantasm really easily because it's indirect fire. It just covers an entire kind of 18-inch bubble where people can't deep strike. Otherwise, they get yeah. decan into the face. <laughs> um, in this meta as well, things like Land Speeders, Sentinels, yeah. Lehman Russes, these are all perfect targets for decanons. Mm. And even Harlequin Starweavers, Chris, Chris can attest to that. Like <laughs> single D cannons are yeah. surprisingly effective with strands of fate dice into yeah. Harlequin boats and things. Yeah. So yeah. we're seeing a lot of units which D cannons are effective into. Now, Dark Angels Terminators are actually a pretty good target for D cannons. Nothing is a great target for Dark no. Angels Terminators, but <laughs> D cannons can really spike, especially because yeah. they have blast. It almost forces the opponent to split them into units of five which are much more manageable for Eldar than the big units yeah. of 10. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And I think, as you say, I think we've got a meta where there are so many little vehicles and things popping around. And mm -hmm. I guess the players using those, especially into elves, they want to use that as bait, right? They want to make you go places you don't want to go, show your face in places you don't want to be. Mm -hmm. And the D cannon goes, nah, you're just gone. I'm going to blow you up and I'm still hidden away. And yeah. and that's the thing. And so they're, they're a very flexible, powerful unit. And as I say, that again is where Strands of Fate suddenly goes up a level because you, oh, it's a hit and a wound. How much can that do? Well, you put that on a gun like a D cannon, and that is a big deal, right? To have those efficiencies in slapping on serious damage. Yeah. Um, and as you, as you say, big bricks of tough stuff. The D cannon, even as you say, there's never there's never anything that has like the perfect efficiency into that transhuman, but it it gets a lot done. 
And again, it's nice and another weapon that can help put your opponent on the clock, which is something Eldar like to do, right? We, mm-hmm. we pref- I think Eldar likes a situation where they feel they're under pressure to go places and do things at certain times rather than the other way around. Um, do you want to elaborate on any other sort of key units? And then we'll think about characters after that. Key units, probably the Dire Avengers are a key yes, unit. Yeah. I, think. I think they do pop up in multiple lists. And mm. one thing I'm not seeing is people taking them in the ignore cover lists where I think yeah. they're actually very, very relevant. Um, mm. If anything, I would say that Dire Avengers with ignore cover are more relevant in this meta than Hail of Doom Dire Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, simply because um, uh, Dark Angels Terminators are probably a key issue for Eldar. And the Dire Avengers give you a solution if they can ignore cover. Without Ignore Cover, um, the Dark Angels Terminators are still on a two-up save against your non-rending shots. Yeah. But as soon as you get Ignore Cover on, they're on a three-up save. And then if you yeah. throw Jinx onto it, um, you have a, the opportunity to do a lot of damage with mm. just 10 Dire Avengers. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'd say the Dire Avengers are the only truly efficient unit in the Eldar Code. <laughs> in, in my opinion. Wow. No, I know exactly what you mean. They're one of those units you look at and think about its output and you're like, yeah, this actually, this is, this is, I can see value here. This, this feels, this feels cheap and cheerful and, and up to do stuff, which is actually for Eldar has been a real issue mm-hmm. um, in the edition because everything is so expensive. Yeah, um, as soon as you start thinking about wounds per cost, you just yeah. yeah, it's not even worth going there. It's not, it's, it's not a good time. Dave, and obviously, um, I guess. Oh, sorry. After yeah. sorry, no, it's okay. I just wanted to make this point because it's quite key for Dire Avengers. Is that mm. strategic reserves is free now, and <sighs> Dire Avengers play beautifully out of strategic reserves, yeah. especially because they can R and D and still shoot R B D and still shoot. Yeah, um, yeah, which is extremely powerful for Halo Doom. It makes that secondary very uh, consistent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, action and shoot an amazing thing to have built in and um yeah i think squads them i like i like smaller squads personally but i've definitely seen lists like seen yeah it's, it's so the little the little six mans that gets that mm-hmm. gets it done with the double catapults on the xr it's just so many shots for six guys it's great um okay fantastic any other units or should we talk characters let's go characters i love yeah I love let's go characters because this this has actually been i think i remember when i first started playing eldar and there was almost there were like two that you took and then the warlocks but it has felt like with this book there is genuine choice and diversity in terms of the directions people go in with the hqs to the point that you know it's in the sort of the weird moments when i'm thinking what about an all hq or like six excuse list it doesn't even sound like the worst thing in the world right? because there's just so many different characters and so many ways you can build and i guess we can we could probably group these into sort of the, the sort of psychic and force multiplier dimensions and then the aspect warriors and i'm curious what your thoughts on both those kind of camps are and what sorts of things you personally like so from the psychic side i try and keep it as minimum as possible um, okay okay to be honest. I, like there's one package which i always want in my list which is a warlock skyrunner to go and do warp ritual and something to quicken him back yeah, uh, <laughs> he's got to get I, home again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that little combination. It's very point sufficient. If you just do it with two Warlocks on foot for Quicken and Restrain and one Warlock Skyrunner, that's 115 points for that package. And mm. it's extremely versatile. A little bit awkward against Guard um, with the little two-man on foot. You might have to spend another 15 points and maybe put him on a jet bike uh, as a character. Mm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that combo, 
every time. And then a farseer, at least one farseer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In America, we're seeing a lot of people running two farseers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally don't think you necessarily need it now, um, but because they're, they're really expensive. <laughs> it's a lot of points, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I love this farseer. I, I run one farseer. Either they'll have guide and doom, or if I'm playing a list which doesn't require guide and doom, which I think the number of lists don't at the moment, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can just take like executioner, a little bit more mortal wounds. And then I love giving this guy in every single list. It doesn't matter what the list is. I, I like giving him the Kernos bow and uh, yeah. the, the Mark of the Incomparable Hunter, yeah. which is just a mortal wound pistol, basically. Yeah, um, it's a lovely combo, right? Because you can just, yeah. again, with comboing with the Fate Dice and stuff, you can just slap mortal wounds. And it's, I think sometimes just being able to push that little bit more crunch damage through mm-hmm. um, is so, so good to have. Yeah. No, that's that's really interesting. And how about the aspect warriors? So, so this is the Phoenix Lords, right? So yeah, yeah, Phoenix yeah. Lords, Phoenix Lords. The Phoenix Lords are in a glorious moment where mm. they are all viable except for Fugan. So if we ignore Fugan, <laughs> yep. ev- every single he's other... waiting for the end time. His time, his time will come. His time right? will yeah. come. <laughs> every single Phoenix Lord is viable, and I don't know how they manage this. They're all kind of the correct amount of points. I mean, they're not like some of them maybe could be ten points cheaper. But they're all in the correct price bracket for what they do on the board. So they feel balanced as well. But yeah. they're so cool. And the thing is, even if you take someone like Jane Zar, so this, there's lots of weirdness with the Phoenix Laws. Jane Zar doesn't have plus one to wound like the Banshee. So she she hits really badly. But yeah. she has so much utility with an always yeah. fight last. Fight She's last, really yeah. fast. She's obsec. Incredible yeah. control piece. And she probably makes my top three Phoenix Lords. Nice. Um, and then you have Morgan Ra, another weird rule. He has a massive shuriken cannon that doesn't have the shuriken rule. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. What the hell? <laughs> so, but his profile of strength seven minus two, two damage is perfect into things like land speed. It's very relevant in this meta. And he can mm. punch and shoot which is yeah. why Baharoth is the best Phoenix Lord. Yeah, because he's flexible. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We've got Irolith on the Forge World side, who's a little bit cheaper than all okay. the other ones, and yeah. has is, is 12-inch moving, which is extremely relevant, mm. and has a good gun, a few little combat attacks, quite cheap, easy to fit into lists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have pure output in Phoenix Lords like Karandras, who can deep infiltrate and does loads of damage. Uh, probably the most output of any single unit in um, in the Eldar Codex uh, yeah. for melee. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. So you've got a lot of you've got a Sorm- a Sorman's the one which I rank a little bit lower, but he's still mm. viable. Yeah. Um. So yeah, awesome. Every single yeah. Phoenix Lord is viable. It's, you could run three. It's the that's well that's the thing. Every now and again, you're like, what if I just what if just all of them? And you're like, it's it's not terrible. It's actually not terrible because mm. it's that combination. Is it's the 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 wound phase cap coupled with i'm an obsec character i can get lookout sir i'm obsec i'm phase capped i can get back up when i die there are just so many ways in which they give you mission play and they're a puzzle and their output is good as well and obviously baharoth has been the star he's had a great time because being able to just drop a phoenix lord in behind is a remarkable power to have mm-hmm. um but it's yeah it's, it's an exciting time where they it, as you say it feels like most of them have some play and again in it in when you're trying to to mission hard and also catch out the opponent and, and often play into difficult situations as far as damage goes as well having ways to stall that or slow that up is absolutely massive so now that, that, that's really exciting and i think it, it it takes me towards my next question actually which is going to be towards the secondaries because this is a point of curiosity i think that 
I don't. It feels like a bit of an exaggeration, but it it almost felt like when they wrote Nephilim, they were rewriting the secondary game to try and control Eldar a little bit because they they took away some of the things Eldar loved so much. Right? They, they took away to the last. They took away Stranglehold, and for a little while, it felt like you know the whole Eldar community needed to reinvent and work out a new way to go about things because they you know we had this wonderful tradey standoffy game at, at our fingertips, but then the secondary games felt like they'd been almost quite deliberately rearranged to make mm. sure some of those some of those sort of standoffish ways had to had to go away. But it feels like the the picture's a little better now um in Arcs of Omen and that there are more ways to go with it. And I guess yeah, do you want do you want to talk through some of your sort of your favorite secondaries and why you think mm. certain ones might hold weight? So I think the Eldar faction secondaries are how all of the secondaries should have been written. Yeah. Because they're extremely flavorful. And they're hard to do. They're like yeah. they're, they're okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could maybe take them, but have yeah. you built your list for it? You know, yeah. are you willing to commit to achieving that goal? Uh, <laughs> like Wrath of Cain is so cool. Like the having to kind of kill stuff in combat, shoot stuff with um, mm. your aspect warriors is just so flavorful, and it really rewards you for playing that and building into that. Um, and then you've got you know scout the enemy which is really not that good but (laughs) but it can work and if you have enough ranger units you can easily get a 12 on that if you've built for it and how flavorful is it you know oh it's just great yeah Yeah, and then scry futures is very valid on six objective missions where Mm -hmm. you get three points for doing a psychic action on each objective and sometimes it can keep you out of deny range in the early game until you dig out your space. Yeah. Um, but really, I think Eldar are characterized at the moment in terms of their secondary play by the the actual um, normal secondaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and a big part of that is because uh, behind enemy lines has become so much better, only requiring one unit in the opponent's deployment so zone to get three points. An enormous change, yeah, yeah, absolutely enormous. So I think that's one which all Eldar lists should try and build into because it's pretty much a guaranteed 15 if you build your list correctly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth teching for it. Just get that out of the way. You've got 15 on that. And then the other two are really variable because Eldar is a good killing army. It has good mm-hmm. output. Um, and if your opponent does give up one of the purge the enemy ones, you know, bring it down. Or mm-hmm. if they give up even no prisoners, something like mm-hmm. that. I think that's a very valid pick as a second choice. But yeah. you could also take uh, one of the the kind of shadow operations. You could do Raise the Banners, but I love yeah. Retreat Battlefield data for yeah. Eldar as well. Yeah, yeah. And then you've also got the option of taking Warp Ritual. So now you you could do just three completely passive secondaries. Um, you could do like a killing secondary plus two of the passive ones. You have really good options. And I found this all the way through kind of the international team tournament that I was outscoring people on their secondaries, even Necrons. I was outscoring them by the end yeah, of the yeah, game. Yeah. So um, <laughs> in, in tight games as well. So mm. I think Elder play the normal book secondaries very, very well. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think, I think, as you say, it's, it's, it's fun to build into things like Wrath of Cain, scout the enemy. I did, if maybe a shroud runners could do it in the same way mm. that Rangers do with end of turn finishing. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that makes it a little bit better. Mm. Um, I did. I always thought the hidden path was quite fun, but in, again, in a way, I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure you want the pressure that that invites in your life so, um, <laughs> sometimes. But yeah, as you say, it's, it feels like the killer thing was. You know, we uh, behind the scenes we call we very much call behind enemy lines new stranglehold, right? It's 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 stranglehold with extra steps. It's the, okay, you got to be a bit quicker, you got to get a bit further. But again, if you're building a, a good game plan around it without losing catastrophic assets, you can score that, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can make that a fifteen, and that that helps us keep up with and keep pace with other armies that have these you know these 15 secondaries all over all over the place and so mm-hmm. that's that's massively appealing um 
I think one of the things going forward um, for Eldar is going to be sort of looking ahead to, you know, new things that might be on the horizon and, and potential changes in terms of the addition. So whilst I've got you here, mm-hmm. I guess I'm curious what your wish list might be. Is Oof. there anything in the way Eldar play or Eldar are currently set up that you'd like to see different or in, improved or changed in, in sort of uh, grasses greener situations, maybe a few months down the line? <laughs> so I think, you know, the internal balance of Eldar mm-hmm. is generally better than most codexes. Like, oh, totally. You, you yeah. can find some viability with anything. You know, if you want to run your fire dragons, they're not that bad, to be honest. Nah, you can go for some fire dragons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is Swift Strikes, if you want to run your Dark Reapers, I'm putting it out there. If you want to run your Dark Reapers and Swift Strikes, they're not bad in Swift Are Strikes. Are they not bad? Wow. Swift okay. Strikes ignore cover. There's an option. They did get a points decrease as well. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'm quite happy with the balance within the Eldar Codex. Um, the external balance, yeah, okay, uh, is is also acceptable. I think they've mm. kind of positioned them correctly as an expensive army. What I'd be worried about, so my wish list is not really what I want. My wish list is <laughs> what I don't fearless. want. That's very Eldar of you. I like yeah. it. <laughs> what I don't want, and I think Eldar are very susceptible to this, any moment where things like indirect fire and flyers become too good, you can really invalidate the faction completely from the competitive yeah. meta. There was a time when, you know, all you saw were Admech flyers and a million orc buggies shooting in direct fire. What are you going to do as an Eldar player? Like, that's not, that's not fun at all. Like, no, you, know, you can't no, even no. play the game. Yeah. And yeah. I, I always worry about things like that, which are heavily alpha strike, mm. can target anything on the board kind of output. And I just mm. hope they don't make anything like that too strong. Yeah. You can see how easily that happens just with how good yeah. mortars are. It just yeah, yeah. like it, it only takes one unit literally for one unit. the entire um, meta to change around it because it's indirect fire. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And I think I think one of the, one of my sort of hopes for the new edition is that I'd like to see them get to work with terrain and and make that interesting and add add some new things, make a few bring a few different terrain types into the picture without it being a, a serious issue. And I think I think if they can do that right, that gives Eldar play, because Eldar always live and die on the relationship of terrain to the other kinds of damage and reach out there. Um, but as you say, yeah, those are those are the metas you don't want. Um, the ones where there's just stuff raining down on your little elf head. Um, so fingers fingers crossed we can avoid that. <laughs> right. Fantastic. I mean I think we've covered, we've hit all the notes I was hoping to hit. I really appreciate you taking the time, and thanks, yeah, thanks for going a little deeper into some of the secret source there. That I really, really appreciate that. Um, when when can we next hear from you? When will when will your sort of wider content world be be next available? What sorts of things from the fireside are in the pipeline? So fireside, we just did an episode where Dave went through his Southampton. Super oh, major exciting! Work. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so if you're interested in Astro Militarum and you want to know more about his list design philosophy, that's that's a really good episode. It's just fantastic. I, I ask him the questions, but it's all Dave that one. <laughs> uh, if you want a little bit more of me and the Eldar side of things, I am going to Manchester GT, and oh, I'll do an episode after the lists are released uh where i'll kind of go through a little bit of that um i'm still not 100 percent sure if i run eldar but i probably do i Mm -hmm. might end up borrowing someone else's army it just depends (laughs) um but yeah you know if i do run eldar i'll be going into quite of a deep dive on that yeah amazing fantastic i guess i guess either way we'll hear about the thought process there um and it's yeah very cool i'm gonna be at manchester as well so i look forward to seeing you there that'll be really fun Vic, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back again soon. Um, stay, stay safe out there, elves. You know, it's a good time. <laughs> Hide, do all the right things, and you can, you can bring it home. All Jeez, right, bye, thanks. everybody. See you next time.